Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Byrne. How you doing? I'm doing really well, Chris. We got a nice show today. We do. And and Richard, I want to ask you a personal question. What do you know about your own emotional intelligence? I'm not emotionally ready to answer that question. Oh, well, you will be at the end of this podcast because we are talking to Renee Adams, who has created this amazing property called Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks, which is all about teaching children emotional intelligence. But first, this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. And we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy, marketing and media agency, Chizcom, and Precise.tv. And we are so pleased to welcome someone who I've had the pleasure of talking with before, Renee Adams, who has created Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks. And thank you for being with us today. You are so welcome, Chris. And thank you, Richard and Chris, for having me on your podcast. The concept of emotional intelligence, I feel, is like in the last 20, 25 years. And it kind of sprang out of the notion that IQ, which is your mental intelligence, it was other forms of intelligence, physical intelligence and emotional intelligence. So can you give us some sense of how it's defined And what is the history of the concept? It is a very new field because it has only been around since 1990, primarily. And uh, 1995 is when Daniel Goleman, and he is one of the most prominent experts in the field of emotional intelligence, and he came out with his book, Emotional Intelligence. It was a, a New York Times bestseller in 1995. That's when I became aware of the book at a parent conference at my son's school. And the next day I went out and I bought that book and it captured my attention. It is grounded in science. So there's a lot of neurology studies that have been done on emotional intelligence and it has a a number of models. So my model that I go by is Daniel Goldman's model because I am certified as a coach under Daniel Goldman. And so there are four domains to emotional intelligence, and that is self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And within those four main categories, you have 12 competencies. You have emotional self-awareness, emotional balance and self-control, adaptability, achievement orientation, positive outlook, Empathy, organizational awareness, influence, being a coach and mentor, conflict management, leadership, inspiration, and teamwork. How do children typically learn this stuff? And we'll get to to your toys and that process in a moment. But how in a normal household, without the benefit of your toys, do children learn this and become aware of it? It begins with reading books that have emotion vocabulary, as well as incorporating a discussion of emotions in conversation with a child. That is best done, as we know in the toy industry, in a fun way. Kids kids learn when they're having fun. Whether it's my products or anyone else's products that help make learning about emotions fun, that's key. That's the best way. Our kids just enjoying themselves and absorbing some of these concepts 
through play. With physical intelligence, we're born with certain assets. How much of emotional intelligence uh, is genetic? Are we born with? And then what is the impact, according to Goldman, on teaching it? What are we, what are we working with? This is a new field, like I said, and it has mostly been taught to adults and it has mostly been used in corporate training situations. And so really bringing emotional intelligence learning into the home is so new. And there's not a lot, honestly, out there that I can come up with in terms of sharing examples of toys, that is, and film, that is, that teach emotional intelligence. So you're on the cutting edge with Hoppy and Poppy and, and what you're doing you're really bringing the toy industry into an area that has been strictly for adults prior to this. That is correct. And and other people are starting to do it too, which is amazing and fantastic. The more of us who are out there bringing emotional intelligence concepts into the home and homes with little children, and it can be aunts and uncles and you know friends and relatives, grandparents um, who become aware of the value that the children will have in their lives if they're self-aware, if they're others aware, if they develop empathy, they develop management of their emotions. I'm, I'm on the board of an organization that does nonprofit work. And, and it's mostly led by physicians. And we are bringing emotional intelligence products to uh, children who have acute illness and terminal illness in their families. We were having a discussion and because I was talking to mostly physicians, I said, you know, look at it this way. Just like we can do what we know to do to have preventive wellness and medicine in our lives, we can exercise and we can drink enough water. We can do all of these things that we know will increase our chances to have a healthy body. And we can also look at emotional intelligence the same way. It's like preventive medicine for all of life. So we know that from Yale and Harvard, early childhood development centers, they've done fantastic studies. We know now that children who are taught how to be aware of their emotions, how to identify them, name them, talk about them, manage them, recognize them in other people, they have higher academic achievement. They have better relationships in their life. They, on to adulthood, choose professions that they find more fulfilling and that they're happier doing. And they stay in school longer. Is anger management a part of emotional intelligence as it applies to children? Anger management is a huge part of it. Anger is one of the more difficult emotions to manage and to be aware of and deal with in a positive way. And so anger management is resolved when a child is coached and taught how to recognize their triggers with the foundation of emotional intelligence being in neurological studies and, and in the brain. There are amygdala hijacks is what they're called. And so through past experiences and present moment experiences, we have sometimes 
amygdala hijacks and something sets us off. In toddlers, we've almost all have seen a toddler throw a temper tantrum. They get really, really angry. The reason they get so angry as a toddler is because they don't have the vocabulary yet to be able to express what it is that they're so frustrated about, whether it's playing with a toy that's too complicated for them and they can't get it right, or whether they're just tired, they're hungry. Uh, There's something that's making them really frustrated and they can't express it. They don't know how to express it. And so they acted out in anger. Well, sometimes that doesn't resolve and a child doesn't really go through the normal stages of development and on the other end of it, come out as a well-adjusted adult who knows how to handle their anger. That's why there are many, many adults who also, like a toddler, don't know how to, in a positive way, express that strong, strong emotion of anger. I've met some of them. Yeah, I think I think we all. I, I've worked for some of them. <laughs> I've, I've dated some. Of them. <laughs> you win. I think typically, Renee, this is something that people didn't believe could be taught, and that children would play with dolls or action figures, and they would act out emotions, but there was no context for them, and that they just would age up into it. Or when they would go to preschool, they would learn that if they're screaming at somebody, they're going to get a timeout. So. This has really been codified and analyzed into something that is actually teachable. Am I understanding that correctly? You are, Chris. Yeah, it, it is absolutely teachable. And, and the school systems, I mean, it's extremely exciting. The movement ESL, Emotional and Social Learning, oh, is almost, I think, a household name now. And so the academic environment, they have definitely adopted the importance of emotional intelligence learning and teaching emotional intelligence in the school. The benefits are so undeniable. We've seen it implemented in the business world in extremely successful ways. The top CEOs of companies have been studied and and the ones that have high emotional intelligence are by far the most influential positive leaders in corporations. It's a bigger factor than IQ. IQ is important. It plays a role. We're born with it, with EI, emotional intelligence. We're not born with it. There can be some genetic component, especially for the skill of empathy. But for the most part, it is not something that we're born with. It's something that we're taught. Renee, you have developed a a line of products Poppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks. So can you tell us your story in terms of what are your products all about, etc.? I started this concept when my daughter was on her way to a musical theater audition. And, and she was nervous. And, and I asked her, what would help you in this moment not be so nervous? And she said, I, I think a book. And maybe if it had a blanket, that would be, (laughs) that would be great. And so I was ending my role in as a partner in a home health and hospice business. And I I was really ready as an entrepreneur for something new and different. And so, so we were brainstorming this and I dropped her off 
she got settled with her audition. Her preference was always, Mom, you can just leave. It's fine. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so, I, so I didn't stick around. I went to a coffee shop. I started writing my first book, and the title was Calm in Your Palm. Then I, I developed a blanket that went with it, and, and I wrote a second book. And I went to the New York Toy Fair, and I was super excited about launching these books and the blanket that went with Calm in Your Palm. And I, I found out just several months later at the licensing expo that I had a great idea, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> Welcome to the toy biz. <laughs> and that is what the, the licensing university opened with a panel, you know, and one of the main panelists put on the board, you know, here's my cell phone, reach out to me if you, if you uh, have any questions. So I texted him because I was too far back in line to really talk to him. And, and he said, meet, meet me at 10 o'clock. And, and this is in Las Vegas, as you all know. And so we met and we had coffee and he looked at everything I was doing. And that's what he told me. Like, you have some really great ideas, but you don't know what the hell you're doing. And he mentored me at no charge. You know, I love this business. People are very, very supportive. It can also be a cutthroat business. Ideas get stolen. IP gets stepped on. It's tricky to navigate. But, but he was so generous with his knowledge. And he connected me with some key people who you know, really heard my, my mission, my story, what I really wanted to give as a gift to families and parents and children. And so that's how Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks was birthed. Renee, why don't you stop for a second and tell everybody your website address. So if somebody wants to see the product while you're talking, they can go there. My website is www.hoppypoppy.com. H-O-P-P-Y-P-O-P-P-I-E.com. How did you end up with grasshoppers? I, lo I love these stories because not a lot of people know that the game Candyland was originally going to be about vegetables. And they decided that candy would be more appealing to children. And how did you end up with grasshoppers? And what do grasshoppers have to do with emotion? That's such a good question, Chris. And I'm really surprised I don't get asked that more often. <laughs> this is funny because I was in Asia and, and I had toured Vietnam and Cambodia and, and China and kids have grasshoppers as pets. They love grasshoppers and they raise grasshoppers. And so in my first book, the illustrator and I, we had so much fun just like inserting a grasshopper in the pages. The grasshopper had no meaning. It wasn't a character. It wasn't even he or she. It was just there. Like, you know, one of my kids' favorite books what had little hidden ladybugs on the pages. And, and my kids just loved finding those little ladybugs. And so that was the original idea of the grasshopper. And what I really loved is I, I think irony is a great thing in life. And it's really fun to work with irony. And, and we don't think of grasshoppers as being calm. They don't make us calm. You know, most of the time, you know, they'll make us jump or shriek or shrill. <laughs> and they're really kind of gross if you look at them closely. I liked the irony of that. 
And, and I, so I thought, well, as a, as a children's book author, you know, I'm going to be around kids. And, and I, I like taking uh, grasshoppers and, and teaching a child, look, you know, especially the squirmish ones, if you can be calm, you know, holding this grasshopper, he's not going to bite you. He's not going to hurt you. Um, it's not like a frog. He's not probably likely to pee on you. It's a really good tool. It's a, it's a great little tool. And they're cute. And the kids have really adopted it. And then their Bug Island friends are Aunt Andy Ant, Betty Bee Queen, Walt Worm King, Dr. Spinner Spider, Maestro Humphrey Hummingbird, Chief Franco Firefly, you know. So, so I've really then just made a whole line of characters who are bugs. And do you think the abstraction of a non-human cast of characters is helpful to kids to project themselves into the stories? I do think that, yes. And, and I've witnessed that. You know, I've witnessed that with kids. Their imaginations can really go wild. Renee, how does Hoppy and Poppy and, and their friends, how does that, how, how do you utilize them with your products to teach emotional intelligence? Hoppy and Poppy have zippered pockets, and there are 100% silicone wristbands, which are baby safe, and the wristbands have the names of emotions on them, the six primary emotions. And Hoppy and Poppy have zippered pockets that those wristbands can go inside of. And so when kids are just make-believing and imagining Hoppy and Poppy's world, they can put the emotion that they're feeling in and out of them and change it. And, and that helps develop empathy in a very fun and playful way. Kids absolutely love putting the wristbands on their arms that name the emotion that they're feeling. And it empowers them. They, they get so happy and excited when they realize that they were actually able to identify the, what they were feeling. And sometimes those negative emotions, especially, they can feel like they'll just last forever and not go away, especially to a very young child. So the fact that they then notice that, oh, I'm not sad anymore. I'm going to put on my excited wristband because we're going to the park. It really helps them not latch onto negative emotions and hold on to them and feel like they're permanent and never going to go away. Because they, they really start to learn at such a young age, which is super cool, that emotions change all the time and they're temporary. I think that's really important. There certainly was in the late 90s and the early 2000s a fear of the darker emotions in children. And they, they were really taken out of most TV shows and animated characters. And they took the purple pie man out of Strawberry Shortcake at one point. When you actually deal with a kid, they do have these emotions and validating those emotions and understanding that they pass is really an essential tool. So for kids to be able to experience the full range of emotions and have permission to, I think is really important. I agree with you, Chris. It's so important to teach children that no emotion is an emotion to be shameful about. That they're, they're all okay. They're all acceptable how we manage them, on the other hand, is, is very important. And some things are okay and in some ways are not okay. Um, and so when they start to associate their behavior with the emotion and be able to make choices around that, that's when they feel 
very empowered and it makes it really makes a child not only more likable and doing a lot better in their social relationships, which we know from studies is critically important that a child before they reach the age of four gets along with other kids. It's a game changer. Teaching children to accept their emotions for what they are and realize that they're all okay, that is extremely critical. How many items do you have in your line? And when you approach uh, retailers to carry your product, where do these products go? Do they go with educational products? Do they go with plush animals, with books? Where do they belong in the store? Well, they really do belong in books and toys. And, you know, that includes plush. Tattoo is is a little flying 14-inch square blanket character. And so I've got two books that are ages zero to three, although four and five-year-olds love them. Not so scary and what we feel. Tattoo, the character blanket. And Hobby and Poppy are plush with zipper pockets and hooks. And the sleeve of emotion wristbands, which are six primary emotions. That's what my product line encompasses right now. And I am taking a direct-to-consumer approach initially. I just launched the brand officially April 2nd. And so I'm working on direct-to-consumer and in, and then with the, the goal and plan that it will be in retail. But where it belongs is a very good question because it can really be in any of those. So you're really steeped in all of this from a scientific standpoint. What should toy makers be thinking about as they're trying to add levels of emotional intelligence to their toys, no matter what they are, whether it's a game or it's a, an action figure? What should people be thinking about in terms of the experience of the child encountering the toy? A lot of it, Richard and Chris, have to do with educating parents because parents can ask the right questions. And it, it doesn't really matter what you're watching. Any kid's movie, you can pull things out of that movie and out of that story. And you can teach emotional intelligence really from just about any film, you know, YouTube, experience or whatever the kid is really into you can pull some emotional intelligence learning out of that by asking the right questions and really tuning kids more into the the characters of the story and what those characters are feeling what those characters are experiencing so just really talking about the emotions that are involved with whatever play you're doing whether it's a game or watching the show, emotion can be brought into that. Renee, what you're doing is really important. And I look forward to the fact of not seeing toddlers having meltdowns in Trader Joe's in the future because of because of what you're doing. Is this something you can teach toy makers how to do? Could you consult to toy makers? And, and what would that look like? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, what I would love to, to work with toy companies about is an understanding of really just what the basics are of emotional intelligence, because it's very difficult to design a product if you don't understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish in terms of emotional intelligence. And if anyone wants to contact me, my email address is Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at calminyourpalm.com. 
I would love to have a conversation with anyone about getting emotional intelligence in the hands of children. Okay, Renee, we're going to ask you the question we ask everyone who's a guest on the Playground podcast. Tell us a secret. (laughs) But what is a secret? This is so fun. I love this part of your podcast, and I've changed my answer 10 times today. (laughs) My new goal, Chris and Richard, is that what is my secret today is no longer a secret a year from now. And that is, I I really put some thought in this. I signed my books, Learn, Love, EQ. Learn, period, love, period, EQ, period. And that's really my secret because I learn every day. Being an entrepreneur is not for sissies. It's no picnic. I wanted to throw my hat in and give up so many times. And I keep going and... I I get so much joy and pleasure out of learning every day. I've made many mistakes, and it's been an amazing journey. And then love. Love is the motivation for everything I do. I had a tough time as a kid. And if I had been raised in a home with high emotional intelligence, my life would have been a lot less struggle and a lot more joyful. I think a lot of us can say amen to that. Absolutely. And really keeping that in mind every day, learn something, bottom line love, and then incorporate EQ, emotional intelligence, in in my personal and professional life. Uh, That's my secret. Okay, well, it's, it's a great one. Renee Adams, it's really inspiring to talk to you. I hope people are paying attention, and I do hope they get in touch with you because in the time you and I have talked before this, I've learned a great deal from you, and I'm very excited about what you're doing, and I think it's really important for kids, especially coming out of the pandemic, as I think kids are going to be a little bit behind in their socialization with, with peers. So what you're doing is so important, and thank you so much for spending the time with us today. It has been my pleasure, and you're so welcome. I thank you for everything you're doing. You guys are amazing. (laughs) This is the Playground Podcast, and we'll be right back with the end cap. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I talk about issues that are top of mind and impacting the toy industry right now. And really, there is nothing quite as top of mind and having repercussions throughout the business as supply chain and shipping. Richard, over to you. I think this is um, a question I know you're being asked, I'm being asked, and that is to make some predictions about what it's going to look like come fourth quarter, and particularly around Christmas, in terms of inventory. And this is coming up because current quotes on containers uh, are up to $20,000 now. And these are containers that a couple of years ago were going for anywhere around $2,000, $3,000. So that's, of course, uh, quite a multiple. And so what is happening now is the cost of the container is in some cases more or the same as the cost of the inventory in the container. And there are some companies that have placed products and are locked in. These products have been made. And they are choosing to postpone taking delivery until such a time as the uh, price of the container will theoretically go down. It appears from everything I'm hearing and seeing and reading 
that's not going to happen anytime soon. Not this year and maybe not through 22. Right. So the question becomes, if you are a company importing product, what do you do? And how do you make a profit (laughs) in 2021? Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, one of the things I'm hearing is that retailers are feeling the pressure as well. And they're they're asking toy companies for any inventory that they've got already landed in the U.S. So they need stuff to sell as much as people need to get things into the country. We're also hearing that retailers are delaying their orders, which is really challenging at this time of year. They're delaying orders because they want to see if the prices will come down for shipping. But that's going to put a lot of pressure on the manufacturing end and rushing product to market to try and get here for really on shelf date of October 1. Also, Chris, I would just like to point out that up until now, the inventory concept has been just in time. Yeah. Uh, Nobody's been carrying large inventories. So I doubt there's large inventories out there domestically to be shipped in. So, Chris, here's some of the things that I think are going to happen. I think there are some companies that are going to attempt to cancel orders that they have contracted for in China. Uh, That is, of course, going to create some legal issues and some relationship issues. That'll be a real challenge. I think there is going to be some pressure from retailers to toy companies to say, sorry about your problems with the cost of the container. Uh, You promised me these goods. I have allocated space for them. Uh, If I don't have your product, I'm going to have empty shelves. I'm expecting you to deliver this. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on toy companies to take the product in, even though the container costs are so high. And then I think there's going to be some calculations made on uh, value of goods versus the cost of the container. So, Chris, let's say you have a product that, let's think of Dollar Tree. It sells for a dollar and it costs you 35 cents or 25 cents. I don't care how many you put on that container. It's doubtful that the inventory is going to be worth more than the cost of the container. So what do you do? Now, on the uh, uh, reverse of that is if you have a product that is relatively low in cubic space, let's uh, uh, in an earlier conversation today with me, you mentioned iPhones as an example. Right. With small, worth a lot of money. Well, yeah, you're bringing that in. Right. So if we're going to see any uh, inventory not showing up, I think it's going to be products that are very low price, low margin, and maybe large cube. I think we could see a dearth of, of those types of products. Right. And those are the products that really build out the market basket as well and build out the profit. Once the profit margin evaporates, then what does that mean in terms of production per square foot for the retailers? There's a lot of calculations that have to happen, as you say. A lot of moving pieces, and I I think ultimately the necessity of having inventory on the shelf is going to be very great, and it's going to force the hand of of a lot of retailers and toy companies to bring in product. I would say this, Chris, though, if we continue to have delays in people choosing to take delays or if we see people canceling orders, as we both know, this is not just about the toy industry. Right, right. Uh, that, ironically, could pull some of the demand back 
and cause prices to containers to drop. <laughs> right, right. And I, and I think as the as the shipping problems work their way out in the next uh, 18 months or so, prices will drop as well. But it's it's really going to be a rocky road. And I think that a lot of manufacturers are going to take it on the chin and consumers are going to be paying higher prices. Now, in the long run, once prices go up, they don't tend to come down. So that may be a, an opportunity to recoup in the future. But this year is going to be challenging. It's kind of interesting. This whole mess we're having right now with the supply chain and containers, et cetera, and this huge demand for product right now. I um, went through the Federal Reserve Chairman's speech he gave uh, day before yesterday. It's Federal Reserve Chief Jerome Powell. And I have actually on, on Global Toy News on my disruption report number 18, I actually went through and pulled out some, some quotes I think people should pay attention to. Yeah, I saw but that. I want to turn to one quote he said, and I think this is very humbling probably for him. And for all of us, he said, it turns out it's a heck of a lot easier to create demand than it is to bring supply back up to snuff. So it's not just you out there who are worried about your container and trying to figure this whole mess out. You're in very good company. Chris, there has been another huge shortage going on, which is microchips. And of course, it really almost stopped the the automobile industry from producing, but it has also impacted the toy industry. Now, I understand you have some updates on what is going on with toys and chips. Yeah, Richard, certainly one of the things I've been hearing about from a lot of companies is, first, the good news. We've known for about a year that this was going to happen. So in some cases, people have been able to redesign toys either to use a more readily available chip, a less sophisticated chip. Perhaps the toy can say 50 things instead of 50,000 things and that it deliver as good a play experience for the for the child. But it does impact those companies like Leapfrog and VTech and and virtually any company now that has been putting chips into toys, which has been a lot of them. And light sounds and all of that have been the, the cost of basic entry for many years. And I'm wondering whether or not it's going to change toy design because you look at the success of things like LOL Surprise or Five Surprise from Zuru. These are really basic toys. Aaron's putty. We had Aaron on the show. Doesn't need a chip and yet is delivering a great play experience. So maybe the default to having a chip bring it to life may be something to reconsider as we move forward. I will tell you, Chris, I'm going to make another prediction. In probably about two years, we're going to see container costs at historic lows because at that time, by that time, they will have manufactured a lot more containers. Right. Uh, and they'll be out there, and the demand will not be as great, and it'll be a buyer's market. And in two years, as to chips, Everybody's ramping up, and I'll guarantee you at that time, there's going to be a surplus of chips, and it's going to be a buyer's market then. But that's still a couple years away. Right now, we got headaches. And, and those headaches are very present today, but that's the nature of the toy industry. You've just described it. It's like a pendulum that swings back and forth, and it's just swinging kind of wildly right now. I thought it was a headache. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a, it, it, it is a headache. Hopefully, we haven't given you a headache talking about this top of mind issue. This is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the ToyGuy.com, marketing and media agency, Chizcom, and Precise.tv. And we will see you next time.